When I had COVID earlier this year, one of the things that I hated most was this ongoing, persistent feeling that I was letting everyone down. I had to take time off from work so I couldn't fulfill whatever obligations that that I had in that role for a week or so. I couldn't do what I usually do to help around the house with family. I I didn't do any driving, so there there wasn't a whole lot of helping get the kids to various activities and so on. And there was karate and my general exercise routine where I couldn't train like I wanted. I couldn't keep up the routine that I had been used to and that I felt obligated to maintain. And so for that week or more, it was probably closer to 10 or so days, I was constantly thinking about what I should be doing. I was constantly thinking about what I should be doing to uphold my role and my position in my workplace. I thought about what I should be doing for the family, even if it was just basic chores or helping out where I usually would. And so I would also constantly think about how I should be keeping up with physical fitness, and how much is this going to set me back? Just a paltry couple of days, but still, it was this big mental, this big mental grind for all of these, really. What should I be doing? What, what, what am I doing now? Or what am I not doing now that other people usually rely on me to do? Now, here's the thing about my experience with COVID. My biggest symptoms, the symptoms that really made themselves known the most, were fatigue and brain fog. So I was quite tired. Sitting was one of the best things that I could do for myself in that time. It was one of my best options for recovery. And then when I would stand up or when I would attempt to do an activity, it was like I was moving through water. I couldn't concentrate the way I was used to. I couldn't even form sentences the way that I was used to doing. So... All the things that I thought I should be doing weren't really possible, or it would be really stupid for me to try. I recall the the Monday after my time testing positive for COVID, I actually showed up on Zoom for a staff meeting, and... To everyone else, it was very apparent that I had no business attending. I was fumbling my words. I wasn't fully engaged the way I would have been if I had been healthy. And so everyone around me, my coworkers, my family members, 
people at the dojo, everyone else understood that the things that I could usually be relied upon to do or that I was usually capable of doing were not possible and didn't expect me to do what I myself thought I should be doing. And yet, my sense of should didn't go away. It was my primary way of viewing these things. I viewed them as obligations that I couldn't put down, and I had no excuses, including being laid up on the couch, not being able to think clearly. And that sense of should still hasn't really gone away. I still think about that week or that week and a half, and I think about elements during that time that I missed during those days. Even now, it's been about two months since I had that experience, and I think sometimes about how much certain things were set back because I couldn't do what I thought I should be doing. There is this pull to view everything through this lens of should, what we should be doing. Now, I'll say that that sum of what we believe we should be doing is out of a sense of love, or a sense of purpose, or a desire to improve ourselves, or our general situation, or the lives of others. But, there is also the presence of guilt. And guilt, when we are only driven by should, is stronger, can be stronger than love, or purpose, or meaning, or improvement. That is the true source of should. Do you know this feeling? Do you view the world through this lens of should? And if so, can you pinpoint when it started? Can you pinpoint a moment or a series of moments when you began to view everything this way? Or maybe you can't because it's all you can ever remember. Imagine what it would be like to operate without that lens. Or even just imagine what it would be like to set it down for an hour, for a day, for a week. Imagine how liberating that would feel to set down our sense of should, to view the world through some other lens. We should try it. Welcome to the Coffeehouse Contemplative Podcast. the first time I heard the phrase, stop shooting on yourself. Maybe you're familiar with this phrase as well. Maybe you've heard it from loved ones or picked it up elsewhere. 
But the very first time that I heard it was just a few years ago during my spiritual direction training program. It was in the middle of a class discussion, and I, I can't recall the exact topic of the moment, but the, the general conversation had turned to feelings of obligation somehow. Now, since it was a class about spiritual direction, my educated guess, given the context and the circumstances, was that we were probably talking about guilt in religious experience. There is quite a bit of shooting wrapped up in religious tradition, and maybe you have experienced this yourself. Maybe you're still processing some past guilt along these lines. Maybe you're actually going through it actively right now and you're still wondering what to do about it. Now, the, this shooting in particular that, that makes itself known in religious tradition, it's, it can take a couple different forms, or many different forms. Let's be honest. There, there's a lot of creative shaming that happens in religious circles in particular. There's, there's a lot of shooting around what you can or can't do in your personal life. The way to act and ways not to act, not just in your personal life, but also when you're part of your larger religious community. There's a lot of shooting around how to worship and how not to worship. What true, genuine worship really looks like and what it includes and the rubrics around where you stand and how you sing and what kind of music is best and acceptable. There's a lot of shooting around who to associate with and who not to associate with. Or maybe it even drills down. You, you can associate with this type of person, but be careful not to get too close for this list of reasons. One example from my own tradition or from traditions like mine, we are in the midst of the season of Lent. That 40-day period leading up to Easter, and there is a lot of tradition and practice that surrounds this time of year, for some traditions more than others. But a lot of discourse takes place this time of year concerning the so-called right way to observe Lent. The, there is this general sense, this general feel about Lent, that it is a time of humility and reflection, and even a little bit of self-denial, if you so choose. And there are certain stories regarding Jesus and the cross that we tell this time of year. And so, there pop up a lot of discussions about the right way to practice during Lent, the right way to tell these stories, 
the right way to sing and to observe worship practices, and, of course, the other side of it being the wrong way. There's a series of wrong ways to do it, and God help you if you observe any of the wrong ways. And, of course, the, a lot of this ends up slipping into a bit of self-righteousness and practicing your piety before others. And look at how much better I am at these religious practices than you are. Now, other traditions, not necessarily the ones that observe Lent, although there is some overlap, there are other traditions that are very rigid about roles in the home or gender roles. What's acceptable for one identified gender to do and what is unacceptable for that same identified gender to do. There are a lot of shoulds and right and wrong ways around sexuality. What the proper way to, to express your sexuality is and is not. One of these weeks, when I have the courage, I am going to do a whole episode about religious purity culture, Christian purity culture. There's a lot there, and I have a little bit of it in my own history. And, and so when I'm, when I'm feeling brave enough to, to tackle that, you, you can you don't hold your breath, but, but it'll, it, it'll come eventually, maybe. Anyway, there, there are traditions that talk about how to remain included, what you should do in order to be considered one of the faithful, one of the included, one of the ones who will still be fully welcomed and accepted when the community or some element within the community gathers. People steeped in certain religious traditions and practices, people steeped in that for years, for their entire lives, they tend to develop a very strong, overbearing sense of should. The sense becomes so strong, so intrinsic to one's mentality that it takes years to unlearn. And no matter how long it's been, there, there is still that little pull of shame that hangs on, that is le at least worth acknowledging, even if it doesn't have the same power after a while that it once did. Now, religious experience religious tradition, is far from the only form that this takes. There, of course, is the family of origin, where everybody learned their role to play in the family. And sometimes this is due to a parental figure who either wasn't present or 
they were, let's say, overly present. And so there's this constant voice, either from this parental figure or from other influences in the home that told you what you should be doing. This is the role that you are going to play in the family as the support person or as the peacemaker or as the one who just needs to stay out of the way. Or, if that voice was absent, maybe you were forced into a certain role earlier than you were really ready for at a certain age. That is the tiniest glimpse into how a family of origin can give us the lens of should. Now, there's also work environment, and that, that's a big topic these past couple of years with the pandemic. There was, formerly, a certain set of rules and expectations of the workplace. And the, these pre-pandemic rules said a lot about how you should interact, how you should produce, how much you should produce, and what you should expect in return. Now, many are questioning that pre-pandemic culture of should. Not everyone is appreciating that questioning. Some are longing for the return to that old culture of should because it worked for people higher up the chain. But those further down are realizing that they don't have to put up with certain shoulds anymore. There are a lot of different effects that shoulding on yourself can have. Have you ever been on vacation wondering if you should check in with your job? Oh, it'll just be a two-minute phone call we tell ourselves. Oh, I'm just going to fire off this quick email and and that'll be it. That that's all that it, I I just I just want to see if if something has been taken care of. I can remember years when I was a pastor in particular. I would take my work calendar with me to the beach just in case. You know, who knows what could happen. So I should be ready, I told myself, just in case I got a call or an email regarding something that was happening back at the church. There are times when religious upbringing kicks back in. We don't mean for it to happen. We thought we were over it, but here it comes again. And so it's a, there's a time of processing that old sense of should that has returned, if ever so briefly. When you're sick, you may have the strong sense that you should be doing something. You still should be upholding your end of 
whatever relationship bargain you think that you need to be maintaining. Maybe you've started in a new relationship. This could be a, a more of a romantic relationship, or it could be a new friendship, and you find yourself responding to certain cues and slipping into your old family of origin role. Maybe even to the point where you're the person that you're developing a relationship with notices and maybe even calls you on it, that can be a blessing. They call you on it and say, what, what are you doing? Why are you acting like that? Or maybe whenever your family gets back together, you find yourself just slipping back into old patterns, slipping back into that role that you thought you were done with, but clearly has still some pull over you. The way viewing everything through this lens of should limits us and controls us. It's powerful. And it's something to reflect upon and something to question, something to interrogate. Because when we view things through this lens, we end up trapping ourselves in either our own expectations or in others' expectations. And it can take a toll, both when we adhere to it and when we don't. It can contribute to burnout. It can contribute to thoughts and behaviors that affect our psyche, affects our spirit, affects our relationships, and not for the better. So we need a different lens. We need a different way of approaching the world. One that is healthier and is actually meaning-making. In my book, Prayer in Motion, Connecting with God in Fidgety Times, I reflect on a brief scriptural story that appears only in the Gospel of Luke. And it concerns two women, Mary and Martha, their sisters. And one day Jesus comes to visit them and to stay at their home. And so, the sisters have very different reactions to him being there. Martha busies herself, getting things ready, organizing, cooking, cleaning, being as hospitable as she can be. Mary, on the other hand, she just sits at Jesus' feet, and she listens to him talk and teach. And Martha eventually becomes so frustrated with Mary not helping her that she comes in and she tells Jesus, Hey, 
Can you tell her to help me out here, please? I've got a lot of stuff to do. And Jesus says to Martha, You are distracted by many things, but Mary has chosen the better part. Now, the popular interpretation of this story is that we're meant to side with Mary. She is sitting and listening to Jesus, and oh, how wonderful and contemplative and pious she is. And at the same time, implicitly or explicitly, we are meant to shame Martha for her busyness. She's being a busybody. She's cooking and cleaning when maybe she should just stop and listen to Jesus as well. And so many a sermon has been preached that, oh, we need to stop doing what we're doing and just listen to Jesus instead. We've made Martha the patron saint of workaholics. She is one of the best models for us of shoulding on yourself. But it's worth asking, how can we sit at Jesus' feet and just let the laundry and dishes pile up? How can we sit at Jesus' feet when there is so much injustice and oppression and inequality in the world? We might argue back at Jesus that a little shoulding is okay. There really is some stuff that needs to get done. And if we just sat at Jesus' feet all day, none of it would happen. Now, we take what Jesus says. You are distracted by many things. Let's, let's analyze this for a second. The Greek word for distracted in this passage can also be translated, or, or the meaning behind it, is that one's attention is diverted. In and of itself, Martha's not wrong for trying to show hospitality. She's doing not, not only what perhaps was expected of her culturally, but she, we, we could reasonably guess, was truly motivated to make the best of Jesus' visit and to offer him the best care that she could. So she's not wrong for trying to show some hospitality. But her attention is diverted by her resentment, by her anger, by the lens of should. You are distracted. Your attention is diverted by these things. And so maybe there comes an opportunity here to reframe what she's doing, why she's doing it. To reconsider that she is doing it not because, not just because she should, but instead because she is making space for her guest, out of love, out of respect, even out of reverence. This lens of should is driven by obligation. 
It's driven by fear of judgment. It's driven by guilt. It's driven by resentment. We, we aren't doing something in our lens of should because we enjoy it or because it gives us meaning. Instead, if, if we are practicing out of a lens of should, we're doing it because some internalized voice tells us that this is how we gain worth. Or this is how we maintain identity. Or this is how we receive love or make ourselves more lovable, more worthy of love. This is how we become included. That's that's the motivator of the lens of should. So Martha, she's driven by duty and she's driven by anger. And so there is this invitation to reframe it as hospitality for Jesus, to do it out of love. It could transform her approach. What happens? What could happen when we drop this lens of should, when we stop seeing everything through the lens of, well, we, we should do this because it will make us more lovable, more worthy, more, more included? What happens when we reclaim what we do or what we don't do for ourselves rather than for others? Or when we drop some things that we thought we should do because they're not creating meaning. They're not doing anything other than upholding the expectations of others. Or they're not doing anything besides making us more worthy of others' love, making it a, a transactional relationship, not one that is rooted in love and respect and care. What happens when we choose joy or rest or self-care over shame or guilt or judgment? What happens when we choose true spirit over religious rules? What happens when we truly choose vacation renewal over work expectations that follow us there? What happens when we choose health and wellness over trying to power through sickness? What happens when we choose our own identity rather than the ones that our family forced on us? Choosing the better part rather than having our attention diverted. We find health and wholeness and wellness and self-actualization and spiritual liberation. This happens when we differentiate between what we really need to do versus what we think we should do based on others' reactions or possible reactions. This is what happens when we choose what feeds us and sustains us rather than what condemns us. This is how we find freedom. When we stop the cycle, when we stop the persistent 
obligation of shooting on ourselves. Thank you for listening to the Coffeehouse Contemplative Podcast. I'm Jeff Nelson. You can find more about my writing, including my five books, at jeffreynelson.com. You can also find me on social media, facebook.com slash revjeffnelson. And I'm at boldroastrev on both Twitter and Instagram. Have a great week.